Thanks for listening to the River in the Hills weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Nate Cashdan. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Good morning. Can we bring the lights in the house up so I can see everybody's smiley faces? And you turn the lights on down here so they can't see my frown. That'd be great. <laughs> a joke. Lighten up, man. It's good to see everybody today. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua. We'll start in chapter 6-ish. Get into chapter 7 a little bit. a second to get there. I don't know about you, but uh, I am generally very thankful for warnings, (laughs) generally, Um, especially when they're brought with a lot of love, right? Like I've been warned by Pastor Glenn a lot about things, about many of you. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. But I've been warned about things, and, and, and then when I get on the other side of whatever he was warning me about, I'm like, thank God that he warned me. I've been warned by my parents, especially when, I, you know, when, you're, when you're little and you're living in your parents' house, and they warn you about things. Hey, you don't want to run into the street, and then you, you see what happens when other people do run into the street, right? And you're thankful for the warnings. Thankful for warnings that I've received in church and instruction from pastors and leaders, and I've not always heeded the warnings, Right? Who in this room has followed every warning that they've ever been given? Let him cast the first stone. <laughs> Let him cast the first donut at me. So, um, but I'm, I'm thankful for him. The message today that we're going we're gonna to look at the uh, life of a guy named Aiken. Some of you know um, about him, and um, some of you don't. This will be the first time you've heard about it. But the message isn't meant to inspire uh, unhealthy fear. Okay, the word of God isn't meant to inspire or incite, sorry is the better word, unhealthy fear. It is meant to incite the fear of the Lord. Uh, and and same, the message today, the word of God is not meant to, inc- uh, to incite guilt and shame and sort of this more inward focus of like, uh, 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 excuse, excuse, woe is me, I'm okay. Like that sort of attitude that, you know, that no one ever experiences except me and but it's not meant to do that because, you know why it's not meant to do that? because the Word of God is not meant to do that. The Word of God, sharp as a two-edged sword, right? And it's profitable for, for teaching, for reproof, for doctrine, for uh, so many things. I would add, to, I'm not trying to add to Scripture, but innate, I would say it's also profitable for helping to bring joy, sobriety, um, uh, repentance, um, and, and several other good things. Breakthrough for you individually, in your family, uh, corporately even this morning. Okay. So I believe that the Lord kind of has this word on his, or has put this word on my heart today, rather, for many reasons, but one of them um, being because as a church, I would say that we are awake to what's going on, not woke, don't write that down, <laughs> awake, we have been awokened, no, I'm making up, making up words, which pastors can do, it's in the Bible, um, <laughs> But we're awake to what's going on in the world, which is good. That's, that's a good thing. I would say we're aware, not, not, not fully and completely, right? We want to be, we want truth, 
right? I want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? And we're, we're truth hungry, and we, we want authenticity, and we want these things, and I believe that the Lord has had a lot of grace on River in the Hills, and, and you guys have just been very resilient through the last, you know, times, we'll just say, but probably more, more like your entire life, and uh, because it's not just the last 18 months who've made you who you are, who've made the church who they are, right? It's your entire life. Why does the last 18 months get so much credit in that the Lord's been working with you since before you were born, and and when we get to this point where things have changed in the last in the last year and a half, and what what's changed is the Lord's been saying some things, been giving some new marching orders, right? Standing orders are good orders, but when He gives new marching orders, you pay attention and you change your because you know, your orders change, so you change what you're doing. And He's He's brought awareness um, for He's brought awareness, and we have we have done our best to become more aware and awake to what's going on. In those situations where the Lord starts speaking maybe a new word, not new scripture, but he starts redirecting, hey, here's what you've been doing, but I want you to, I want you to put a little bit more of your focus in this area now. When we have a change like that, you know, humans don't handle change very well right? We're just not, like, notorious for that, right? In the galaxy, they're not like, hey, humans are really good at change. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not something you're known for, or me. But um, what happens in those moments of change is that the devil tries to creep in with things that you weren't tempted with yesterday, or things that you conquered a year ago, or 10 years ago, or 40 years ago, and he'll bring them back up because you're in a place of having to realign even the way that you go about your day because the Lord spoke some new marching orders. So if you're realigning even the way that you're going out your day, you're not, you're not realigning your theology. Necessarily. I mean, you're just, he's, he's given us different things to focus on in prayer. There's different things to focus on in life. There's different things to focus on, on your, at your job, in your relationships, different topics of conversation. And when it's all different, Things are new, and you're having to put more of your effort into learning newer things, right? And that's hard, especially if you're over the age of six. And so they, they, the devil want, and, and the enemy wants to come in with all, with all these demons, and he wants to try to, to catch you off guard, right? Because a lot you, you weren't focusing as much energy yesterday on these things as you are today, and so now he sees a weak point, and he comes in, Okay? I believe that's what happened with the story of Achan. That's why I'm going to show you why I think it's so applicable to our situation just that we find ourselves in today is because Achan was in a very similar situation, okay? Let's get into the story a little bit, and I'll try to make this all tie together and make a point. All right. Um, Achan was, uh, just a little backstory, Achan is an Israelite, okay? He's part of Joshua's army, and uh, for all we know, Bible doesn't really say it, but for all we know, upstanding soldier and citizen, right? Uh, he made it with Joshua this far. He uh, believed Joshua, and Joshua said the way to knock down the walls of Jericho is to walk around it and yell. And he went, okay. So he passed that test, um, which, good for him. Um, story of Achan, I'm going to Start. I'm going to read a few sections here. They'll probably be up on the screen. Uh, if not, you can listen to me or follow along. Um, we'll start with Joshua chapter 6, verses 15 through 19. Okay, so this is, uh, they've walked around Jericho for six days, and this is the seventh day. Okay, it wasn't just walk around Jericho one time. 
It was do it for a week. That was a tall marching order, okay? It says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, this is the Israelite army, and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. There's a message about faith in that sentence right there, because the walls hadn't actually fallen down yet when he said that. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. That word devoted, I'm just going to stop right there. That word devoted is the same word that's used to describe uh, uh, sacrifices and things that are destroyed unto the Lord, okay? Because they were about to destroy the city. And so they said, but it's devoted to the Lord. This is, that's, that's, don't be confused by the, by the wording there, okay? Um, only Rahab the prostitute and all, all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel, Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold, all the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Okay? The rest of chapter 6, they walk around, they sound the horn, they shout, people go in, they grab Rahab in her house, they bring her out, they burn the entire city. They won. Chapter 7, verse 1, skip over there. This is, but... The Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. We'll skip down to verse 10. Okay, so what happens here uh, in between verse 1 and verse 10 is uh, they decide to go to battle, right? They, they against an enemy. Uh, from Ai, so they, they send some, some uh, reconnaissance, right? They're like, go check it out, and those guys come back, and they're like, this Little League, man, just send a couple thousand people. They're like, well, this is no big deal. Don't, we don't even need to wake everybody up for this. This is just going to be easy, and so they said, uh, Joshua's like, great, so they go down, and before they can even really like rally and start, 36 of their men are already dead from this little, little tiny, weak, pathetic uh, kind of understaffed army, and uh, Joshua is uh, distraught, tears his clothes, understands full well from his own experience that this is not a mistake, that there's something wrong with the people of Israel, that someone's done something, because he's like, there's no way on earth that this should have happened. Verse 10, the Lord says to Joshua, stand up. Why are you, what are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They've violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things, and they have stolen, they have lied, they've put them with their own possessions. This or that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've not been, or because they have been made liable to destruction, just like God said they would. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go on, consecrate the people, tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord says, the Lord, the God of Israel says, that which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. 
In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe, and the tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. The family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. And he who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Skip over to verse 19. They do, it just repeats, they do what he says. They call everybody out, everybody comes forward. Then Joshua says to Achan, because he was the last man standing, so to speak, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you've done, do not hide it from me. And Achan replied, it's true, I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and I took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers. They ran to the tent. There it was, hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them before the Lord. And Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan and all his daughters, his cattle, his sons, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. And then all Israel stoned him. After they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor, or the Valley of Trouble, ever since. Is the feel-good story of the year, yeah? <laughs> Thank God for Jesus. There's a few things, a few points I want to make here I think are important. We need to understand that Achan was used to taking plunder after battle. That was standard operating procedure. Go into a city, destroy it, take all the goods. You can, the part, of the, part of the arrangement was take what you need, and then they'd take more, and they, some of it would go into the treasury of the Lord, and so they'd use it for whatever they needed to. But this wasn't, it wasn't like it's always been off limits to take plunder. What happened? God changed the marching orders this time around for this city. And we're not going to get into too much to why he did that. One of Jericho was, was totally, totally uh, devoted to destruction already when they got there, right? It's an unholy city except for Rahab, right? Funny, kind of a, kind of a foreshadowing of, of uh, Mary of Bethany, right, of the only person that gets saved is the prostitute, right, out of this, out of this city. She was the one that was found worthy. Nonetheless, Achan was used to being able to, to take uh, plunder, at least some of it, and, and then the Lord said, not this time, don't take any of it. It's all devoted to the Lord. Um, we also need to understand that what Achan was doing, he understood to be very wrong. He, he knew what he was doing was wrong, not, and he knew what he was doing was wrong when he did it. We know from Scripture that he knew that it was wrong at the end, when he got caught, but the reason that we know that it was wrong is because he buried it in his tent. You don't need to hide things that are honest, right? God said something and it redevoted or redirected Achan's focus, and he gave room for the enemy to come in and tempt him with something that he'd never really before, as far as we know, been tempted with. 
As far as we know, he'd never stolen before. Why do I say that? Because it seems like that would have been recorded because it would have resulted in calamity coming on the Israelites, just like happened right here. He would have brought trouble into the camp, so to speak. But he got caught off guard, and it cost 36 men their lives, his sin, and his entire family. So there's three different ways that I'm going to talk about this morning. There's probably more. There's three different ways that Achan sinned that each had dire consequences. And I believe that they each have a principle for us to take away today because in the new covenant that we're under, every time there's a warning, there's an invitation to promise. Every time there's a warning, there's an invitation from the Lord right next to it to basically not just heed the warning, but gain freedom from whatever he's warning you from or about. Okay, and so that's why it's cool. This isn't a, this isn't a doom and gloom word. This is an encouragement, almost a call to to righteousness from the Lord. Okay, we can learn from Achan. Um, three different ways that he sinned. Uh, the first one was the sin of disobedience. Okay, the sin of disobedience. Um, some characteristics about the sin of disobedience. You guys know. Um, uh, when, when love is characterized, right, when Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he characterizes love, right, um, basically sin of disobedience is like the opposite of all those things, right, some of the characteristics. And the reason is, is because in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So like one of the chief ways that we love him is by obeying. So it would stand to reason that if there's a list of, way, a list of characteristics about love, that they would also be characteristics that kind of pattern obedience, right? And if there's a list of characteristics about disobedience, that would be very unloving. So it's interesting. Some of these uh, characteristics of disobedience is that it makes excuses. Disobedience makes excuses. Uh, disobedience is always selfish, always, right, looking out for me. And it always overlooks and ignores warnings. Um, Achan disobeyed God and Joshua, his commander, Okay, he uh, he knew that the order had been given to not touch that gold, silver, bronze, that robe, and he did it anyways. As I would tell my kids, deliberate disobedience, right? Deliberate disobedience. Um, I bet you, this is speculation. I bet you that one of the excuses that he made was all the people that own this stuff are dead. They don't need it. We've always taken the stuff in the past. I need it. I deserve this. I just walked around this city for seven days and yelled and watched walls come down. I need some reprieve. And I deserve this. And it's not going to hurt anybody. And it's going to make, you know, it's going to make my family, we're going to be better off because of it. So he made excuses and looked only at himself. He was selfish. That's, again, speculation. I don't know that he thought that, but it would stand to, uh, stand to reason based on what we know about disobedience. Okay? Um, it's obvious that his sin was selfish. He wanted to be rich. Um, but it's also obvious that he ignored the warnings. See, God had, God had said, and Joshua had said, if you do this, if you touch or take or mess with the devoted things, then you will bring calamity on all of Israel. So what happened? Exactly that. Why was, why was anyone surprised? Joshua wasn't. As soon as those 36 guys got killed, he pulled back and went, something's off, this shouldn't be this way. 
we've sinned. Something, that's why he tore his clothes, came before the Lord and went, we've done something wrong. But he did not heed the warning. If you find yourself hiding things that you've done or burying them in your tent, so to speak, it's probably a good indication that there's disobedience going on somewhere. Obedience is one of the primary ways that we show our love to Jesus. He said it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Thank Jesus that when we mess up and disobey, he doesn't take us outside the city and stone us. <laughs> probably none of us would be here. Except Marissa. Josh, can you hand me my water bottle right there? Or Micah, one of you. Sorry. Thank you. <clears throat> Number two, the sin of robbing God. Joshua 6.19, we read it, says, All the gold and the silver and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury, which is where he stole them from, as far as we know. When Achan saw the robe and the silver and the gold sitting there, decided to take it, he was robbing God himself. Whoops. Uh, all the treasure already belonged to God. He said, it's mine. And Achan, in his disobedience, took treasure from Yahweh. He robbed God. Obviously, the sin of robbing God, I remember when I was little, right? We had a Baptist church, so in the front, there was this, we called it the altar, right? We put the communion elements on it and stuff like that. And uh, it's also when the ushers would collect the offering in the place, they'd bring it back and they'd set it up on the altar until church was over. And uh, so the kids were up there. We were up there. I don't remember how old I was, probably eight. And my brother Sam was like five, okay? And uh, we're all standing up there like singing a song. And Sam and I weren't into that, really, at the time. Kids' songs, and that was for kids, not for us. And... Uh, but anyways, I remember looking over, and there's, it's on video. Somebody's like, video, well, it was on video, right? Because it was 19-whatever. And uh, so, but he's sitting there next to, the, next to the offering, and he's singing, and he's just kind of distracted, and he looks over, and he's like, huh. And he, like, takes some cash out, and he, everybody's singing, Jesus, right? And he's like, front row, starts straightening it on the edge of the altar, Look, you know, no one's even listening to the kids. Everybody's just laughing, you know. And my dad, you know, just, oh, God. You know, board of inquiry, you know, they're like, check that kid's pockets before he leaves home. You know, he just, he played with the cash the whole time during the, so uh, anyways, but that's just robbing God. So obviously it's a sin, obviously it's a sin, right? If somebody, if somebody walks back to the box after church, breaks it open and takes the money out of there, right? Blatantly obvious, that's a, not only are you stealing from River in the Hills, you're stealing from the Lord because that belonged to the Lord. Obviously, it's a sin for people to embezzle money from churches, right? For church leaders to, and you hear the stories, right? Probably a lot more often than we wish that we did, where it's like, oh yeah, that pastor ended up taking a million dollars over the last few years. And it's like, stop, you know? <laughs> we have a hard enough time getting people to tithe, you know? But, uh, but, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just saying that those are the blatantly obvious, obviously, I would like to say with as much confidence as I had no one in this room would do those things, okay? But 
The only other place that I'm familiar with where it talks so blatantly about robbing the Lord uh, is in reference to tithing. It's in Malachi chapter 3. We'll start in verse 6. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. Thank you, Lord. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. If you test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if it will not throw, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You can't talk about healing the nation of America without talking about the church bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. You can't. Why? You have to remove this section of scripture out of the Bible if you're going to do that. And I don't go there. I don't like to take things out. Sometimes I want to add things in. But I don't take things out. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that either. <laughs> the, um, the first 10%, in, in my opinion, the first 10% of every human's income, not just every believer, but the, definitely in this context, and we'll just stick to this context, it's first 10% of every believer's income already belongs to the Lord, whether you give it to him or not. So when you bring it, it results in blessing. When you bring it, you're not staying his hand, right? When you bring it, you're inviting all curses to leave, all blessing to come on you, your household, and your church, and in this case, your nation. When you don't, you're robbing God. So says the word of God. I didn't say it. The word of God says it. It's not a threat he doesn't, he doesn't do threats. He does promises. He doesn't need to do threats. He's God. Threats oftentimes involve bluffing. God doesn't bluff. God has given us an invitation like no other false god in all of history. And like no other place in scripture does he say, test me in this. Did you know that even the word Flood, when he says, see if I won't open the floodgate, tear back the heavens and open the floodgates and pour out so much blessing you won't have room for it. It's the same word when, when Noah was on the ark and, and the expanse opened and the water came down and covered the entire earth. Same word. God's like, I'm going to do that with blessing. But all you got to do is trust me. This is a prime, if you will, then I will. I love it. And I can tell you, I'll tell you firsthand, I've spent, I spent part of my, the, an early part of my life tithing. I worked for my dad. He helped me in this. Uh, I, was, I was angry at first and thankful later. He, he, would, he would give me my paycheck, 
And then on the paycheck was a post-it. And on the post-it, it said, Sorry. It said something. Thank you. All right. It said ten percent tithe. And he had already done the math for me. <laughs> and he wrote the, whatever the total was. Say it was 100 bucks, so he said $10 tithe. And then he wrote uh, 60% savings, write 60 bucks. And he wrote 30% you, meaning do whatever you want with it. And I go to the bank, and I cash it, and then, I, and then I'd ask for the denominations to be able to break it all up, and then I'd... I'd give. And then when I uh, got out of high school, well, he didn't do that through high school, but, but uh, yeah, I ended up learning how to use a calculator. But that was when I was like eight. But um, then when I got out of high school, I didn't have enough money to tithe. Now I know that I didn't have enough money because I didn't tithe. <laughs> yeah, lesson learned. Uh, and then that was a couple years probably of disobeying God. And then I had a revelation that that was my problem, that there was, and it wasn't just financial lack. I had spiritual lack in my life. I had relational lack. I had lack, but it was my own fault because I wasn't trusting him with my finances. As soon as I began to trust him again, I've not stopped tithing since it's been, I don't even remember. But I can tell you firsthand the reason I got emotional wasn't because my dad wrote something on a post-it note. It was because I, it's a black and white difference between robbing God and not robbing God. And he is not mad at me and angry at me and calling me to be sh filled with shame and guilt when I disobey him. But he is so ready to pour out immense amount of blessing. And that reality right there is overwhelming to me. Tithes are given. You might say, what's the difference? Just, just a quick, I like to put this in because it it's good for us to know. Tithes are given out of obedience, right? Because 10% is the biblical beginning standard of giving, right? I call it kindergarten. 10% is kindergarten, right? It's like everybody goes kindergarten. Tithe is brought out of obedience. Offerings are brought out of honor, and they're always above and beyond a tithe. And alms are brought out of need. It's the three different types of giving that we see lift in scripture, or give, or listed in Scripture. But if you have an excuse running through your mind right now for why you don't tithe, that word was for you and an invitation from the Lord to test him in these things. It's so good. I can't, I can't tell you. We don't have time for all the testimonies. Let's say, okay, number three. We'll wrap this up. The sin of not repenting. This one was key. I was asking the Lord... Lord, is this like, I've never heard non-repentance taught as like, you know, as part of a sin. And even in the story of Achan, right, there's other, there's other sins that he committed here, but uh, the sin of not repenting. So 2 Chronicles 7.14, right, 
you know it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, even in the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant, listen up, God's heart was still for mercy. God's heart was still, it was still for repentance in his people. See, I, the Lord, do not change. That means that he's the same God that he was in the book of Joshua as he was in the book of John. He's the same God. He wanted his people to repent. When they sinned, he's ready and willing to forgive them even then. And Achan was given the opportunity in Joshua 7.13. Let's look at it real quick. Verse 13 God tells Joshua, go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted among you, O Israel, cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. It is my opinion. Everybody say Nate's opinion. This is not scripture. It is my opinion that if Achan, given the chance that night to consecrate himself, would have taken the stuff out of his tent, and taking it to Joshua and said, I have sinned against the Lord, that he would not have been killed. That is my opinion. I could be wrong. I don't know. Ask God when you get to heaven. The Lord knows that we stumble, that we sin sometimes. He's given us the Holy Spirit to convict us, even as Marissa was talking earlier to show us our wrongs so we can humble ourselves and repent, right, and seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. Worship team, you guys can come back up. Achan had a chance to make this right. Remember, we're talking about the sin of not repenting. He had a chance to make it right. And sometimes, you remember, when you're, when you're sinning, you always have a chance to make it right. You don't need a word from the Lord to repent. You have a word from the Lord to repent, Okay. Achan knew what he did was wrong and could have repented at any time, but he had a, I'm telling you, I believe wholeheartedly that the reason why God didn't just say, it's in Achan's tent, Joshua, because he dealt with his people that way sometimes too. It's right there. You can't hide from me. Instead of doing that, he said, tell everybody to consecrate themselves. Surely what I've brought Achan through will be enough. Surely he will take and heed my warning. Surely he will repent. Because God's heart, or God is a God who loves his people and desires that all come to repentance. Hmm. Sin affects the whole family, right? By the way, I'm not preaching this to correct anybody's sin in here. I don't know your sin, so people are like, I wonder if Nate found out. I didn't. <laughs> the Lord doesn't show me your sin. Thank God. I hope he doesn't show you mine. What's, what's interesting about this story is when you study it out, you see that Aiken's kids were more than likely involved in what he did. If they, didn't, if they weren't there actually stealing with him, they, they knew what was going on. Just it, Again, it's, it's speculation because there's so much we don't know about the story, but what we do know about culture and just how they lived and the fact that they too were stoned along with Achan, the sin polluted the whole family. Sin polluted the entire army. Sin polluted the entire nation. One guy. 
again, we're thankful for Jesus and that he deals with us through his new covenant. He sees us through the lens of Jesus so that even when we do sin, we have the righteousness of Jesus that he sees first so that we don't get taken outside. We also have a loving God, Jesus, who took on all of the stoning for us on the cross. The loving God who knew that we would go and take gold and bury it in our tent, who knew that we would rob him, who knew that we would not repent when given or not given the chance to do it. And he said, I'm gonna send my son to take every single punishment that you're going to earn, but I'm gonna give it to him instead. And Jesus said, bring it on. I'm gonna take it because I got Todd in mind. I got Amanda in mind. I got Kathy in mind. I got Josh in mind. The joy set before him. He endured the cross because he knew the severity that was due your sin, of the severity of the punishment that was due your sin. And he took it all. So we don't have to worry about that. But we cannot swing the pendulum the other way and not take sin seriously. We cannot ignore the invitation from the Lord here. If you're struggling with disobedience, there's an invitation to step. Would you just stand? There's an invitation to step into obedience this morning. If there's something that you've hidden in your tent, if there's something you're hiding, making excuses for, there is an invitation to step into obedience. The Lord's lovingly inviting you into a lifestyle of obedience and every benefit that comes with it. If you're struggling with robbing God, specifically in the area of tithing, your struggle is with trust, okay? It could also be a struggle with pride, right? I don't wanna admit that I've gone this long without tithing, so I can't start now. Well, that's just the devil being stupid. Just ignore that. Struggling to trust him fully with your finances is the first 10% of your income. There's an invitation to step into a new level of trust. The warning isn't this. The warning is this. Hey, be careful. Come here. Let me show you. Let me show you a better way. It's also a very, the, if you're struggling with the, with the sin of robbing God, there's a special invitation in that because it's the only place in the Bible where he says, test me. God, the God who created the universe invited you to test him. I have seen people do this. We've done experiments. I'm gonna test him. It, I'm just saying. He pours out the blessing. He takes care of us. If you're struggling with not repenting, not turning from something that you've done wrong. There's an invitation to step into forgiveness. There's an invitation uh, to step into mercy. As you humble yourself and turn from your sin, he will meet you right there and deliver you from shame, guilt, condemnation, and, the, and really the treachery of that sin in your life. Because unrepented sin is still sin. Sin that we're holding on to or actively living to, whether it's a habit or something that we've done and not and not gain forgiveness for, not, I'm sorry, not repented of, the forgiveness has already been, already been uh, taken care of on his part. But on our part, there's an invitation to step into that this morning. Worship team is going to play. We're going to close here with a, just another song. And uh, I just invite you, the altar's open, prayer teams, if you could come forward. Um, but I invite you to, for those three things specifically, and then obviously for anything else that you need prayer with, 
But if you're struggling with, with disobedience, if you're struggling with, with robbing God, if you're struggling with not repenting, there, a lot of times the, the act or the action is like 100% on, on you. It's 100% on us. Not like, Lord, I need you to help me. No, he's like, no, I just need you to take a step. I just need you to trust me. And one of the little ways I, I've found in my life is just is by taking steps. Get out of your seat. Is it, what, what does it do? Well, my, I'm very comfortable in my seat because nobody knows that I'm going up for prayer. Nobody knows that I'm struggling with one of these things. Let me be the first to tell you, I've struggled and currently struggle with all three of them. Okay? If anybody needs to walk up to the front, I'll be the first one in line. I struggle with all three of these things. So nobody's, nobody's immune. Okay? But I invite you to get out of your seat and I invite you to come to the Lord. You're not coming to me, but I invite you to walk to the altar and just tell the Lord, Lord, I accept your invitation this morning. I accept your invitation to get free from disobedience. I accept your invitation to stop robbing you and to test you. I accept your invitation and I'm gonna repent and I'm I'm going to lay down this sin. I'm gonna turn from it and I want the grace to be able to stay turned from it. I want you to accept his invitation. You cannot hear, if you hear a voice in your head or a voice is speaking into your heart right now, a voice of condemnation, a voice of shame, a voice of guilt, that's not God. He doesn't speak with those voices. He doesn't have that tone in his voice. He's got the tone of a loving father. He's got the tone of a loving savior. He's got the tone of a brother, of a friend, that his relational words that he uses in the New Testament are not slave master. They're not authoritarian. They are relational and familial. He says son, daughter. He doesn't say slave. He can say slave. You are a slave, but he doesn't call you that. He calls you friend. He is inviting you to step into full freedom in every single area of your life whether you knew you were struggling with it when you walked in here this morning or whether the Holy Spirit has graciously and lovingly shown it to you as you've been sitting here, there's an invitation either way. So Holy Spirit, right now we trust you to do your work. Holy Spirit, we look to you. There's nothing I can say, there's nothing Pastor Glenn can say that'll do the convincing and convicting that is your job. Holy Spirit, we love you. We know you love us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and, and Father, for seeing us through the lenses of the atonement, for seeing us with Jesus' righteousness, even when we act unrighteously. Father, I pray, Lord, that River in the Hills Church would be characterized as a church that is obedient to you be characterized as a church where 100% of our members tithe. Barna is gonna have to write a new book about River in the Hills because the statistics are gonna get blown up. Father, I pray that the way that it's seen, even as you said in scripture, you said other nations will call you blessed. Father, I pray that it starts with other churches will call River in the Hill blessed, but the key to that blessing will be that we don't rob God. Father, and then from there, God, as other churches catch that fire, Lord, that other nations will look at America and call us blessed rather than cursed. But God, may it start with us being obedient and not robbing you, not living in unrepentance, Lord. 
Oh Lord, would you deliver us from the pride that ensnares us? Lord, help us to humble ourselves, even as you said, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Help us right now, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Feel free to come forward. The, the altar's open. The prayer teams will be here to pray with you as the worship team leads us in the closing song. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.